0: We are coming into the fifth week of this Not A Fan series, having seen the movie and the small groups that are going on. Uh, what I've heard from people in those small groups, that concentrated discussion has actually been very powerful for uh, a number of people. So thank you for being willing to be a part of that. This week, I'm going to be looking at Matthew 9. Um, we know that Jesus has been looking for disciples. We see that through Matthew 8 where we have uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John that are coming. And also in Matthew 8 we see that there are some that Jesus called that simply made excuses. You may recall that Jesus calls ordinary men and women to an extraordinary mission. He called fishermen who had the smell of dead fish on them. He called tanners. You may remember Paul was a tanner who had on him the smell of death. And also tax collectors who had the smell of treason had the smell of Rome on them. Now, it's quite obvious that Jesus didn't do things the way they had been done. And for you and I, that's a very good thing, yes? Yes. Let me try that again. For you and I, that's a very good thing, yes? yes? Why? I would dare to say that almost everybody in this room is not a Jew but we're loved by God and he came in the flesh to tell us that I'm very glad that Jesus didn't do things the way they were always done I'm glad he was willing to die for me and for you Let's look at Matthew's story. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this they asked his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners on hearing this Jesus said it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick but go and learn what this means I desire mercy not sacrifice for I have come to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners. And if you think about Matthew and what we know about Matthew, Matthew is one of the great examples of a true disciple. He faithfully recorded Jesus' life and teaching. He was deeply interested in that. He was writing to his fellow countrymen, the one who would have sneered and pushed him to the side. Matthew is the most thoroughly Jewish of the four Gospels. And we're glad for that because Matthew points out so many of the prophecies that point to the Messiah. That point to Jesus. Matthew was also immediately obedient to the call. We see here no hesitation. He left a high paying career, though not a very popular one. By the way, have you ever wondered why there are so few stories that we have about the calling of the apostles? You ever stop to think about it? I mean, in essence, we've really got two. We've got Peter, Andrew, James, and John, which are kind of all wrapped up together. And then we've got Matthew. You ever wondered why we don't have the other stories? I'll tell you my answer. Do you know why we don't have them? It's only three words. Do you know why? I don't know, but one thing that I see with all of them, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, what we see is they were willing in the moment to leave everything in order to follow the Lord. In fact, Matthew was so concerned about his friends meeting Jesus that the first thing he did after Jesus called him, he threw a party. And he did it specifically so that his friends would have an opportunity to meet Jesus. By the way, when was the last time you threw a party so that your friends that you know, your neighbors would have an opportunity to rub up against people who knew Jesus and maybe they would meet Jesus? Do you realize that's a great reason to throw a Super Bowl party? Even if you don't like football? Or you're a Lions fan? I'm sorry. I didn't mean that, Scott. I know, I I, I, sh- I shouldn't be digging y'all's too much. I mean, we've we've had our problems down south too. But it's a perfect time to bring people together who don't care about football, but they care about people. And I can tell you, there are people who can be drawn to Christ when they see Christ living in you. But he throws this big party. One of the things we can get out of that is that Matthew's attitude of gratitude towards Jesus recognizing him, wanting Matthew to be one of his disciples. Matthew's attitude of gratitude uh, drove him to share Christ with his friend. There's a maxim that's been around for, oh gosh, at least the last 20 years it's been uh, put out there and and, and it's almost become a cliche you hear it so much, right? People won't care what you know until they know how much you care, right? You've heard that? You know why that's been repeated over and over again? It's because there's actually truth in there. And, And if we think of it just as a platitude, then we may dismiss the truth of it, but it is still true and friend you have to earn the right to be heard most people are one to Christ because of a relationship because somebody who understood that they were a beggar was willing to tell another beggar where they could find bread relationships are important not only in the kingdom but in bringing people to the kingdom. But you know how we earn that right to be heard? It starts by being willing to listen first and to listen without judgment. Notice how Matthew's friends were viewed. The Pharisees. Actually, it's two similar things. Tax collectors and sinners in their minds. And And that's my southern tongue. I, I always think sinners. You have to give me, forgive me for that. But tax collectors were not liked any more back then than they are today. When you stop to think about it. There was a study one time and they figured out that the three most Loved letters in the English language were the letters M-O-M. What's that spell? Mom. And the three most feared letters in the U.S. are (laughs) I-R-S. You think about it. I don't know what you do, but, you know, I turn in my taxes. I do the paperwork. I use a computer to do it to make sure I do it rightfully and do it well. And I get an envelope that comes in my mail. I open the box. I pull it out, and it says Internal Revenue Service on it. My heart starts skipping a beat. And all they wanted to tell me was they got the return. And then I smooth out but we live in fear of the tax man, don't we? I had a guy that worked for me for a period of time when I was at Southern Cross um, who was a former IRS tax agent. It was interesting to sit and talk with him, and, and I won't go through all the details and the things that, uh, that he told me about being a tax man, but one thing he did tell me is he couldn't tell people he was a tax man because people treat you differently. When you're the tax man. You know it's sad when we cannot trust one IRS agent. But in the New Testament. They didn't trust any of them. Tax collectors working for Rome were considered to be traitors. Only they knew what Rome really demanded for the taxes, and how they got paid was by charging a little more than the taxes in order to keep their peace. But, you know, you have to have a little skepticism for anybody who can write their own paycheck, amen? And that little bit was known to get more and to get more, and you know what, with people's attitudes, (laughs) it got even bigger. And they were known to be thieves, traitors. The word that's translated here as sinners, it's it's a word that literally means devoted to sin. Devoted to sin. What does that mean? It means they're given over to or in the service of. It really carries that idea when you stop to think about it that sin is their Lord. Do you know of anyone whose mindset is all about this world? Whose attitude is focused all on what they want? Have they not made their desires their Lord? Notice that these words on The lips of the Pharisees are descriptive not only of who was at the party, but also it gives away the attitude of the religious elite towards those kind of peoples. You see, the Pharisees' words reveal their attitudes because they excluded Tax collectors from the synagogues, from the temple. Tax collectors were not allowed into religious festivals. In fact, tax collectors lived as a man without a country. To Rome, they were not citizens. They were just conquered servants. And to their own people, they were derelict. They were outcasts, and the Pharisees saw no need to associate with them at all. Now, you may also recall that in those Near Eastern cultures of that day, that sharing a meal with somebody was the the forming of a friendship bond. It created an obligation on you. Very ancient custom. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Uh, Genesis 14 through 19, you, you, you see Abraham and Lot and what's going on there. Um, in Genesis 14, we see Abraham refusing any hospitality of the king of Sodom after rescuing Lot. You know why he refused to sit and eat with him. Because Abraham didn't want anything at all to do with the king of Sodom in his ways. In Genesis 19, we see Lot, who was protecting the traveling men who came to Sodom from the men of Sodom at great cost to his family. Specifically, his daughters. We see in the New Testament, Jesus making the statement, John writes in Revelation 3.20, you know, Jesus is standing at the door and he is knocking, right? And we know that idea, uh, anyone who answers the door, I will come in and I will eat with them, yes? Yes? That was a very cultural way of saying that I will come in and I will create a bond, a relationship. We will be friends. We will be more than friends. So when this young rabbi goes over to the tax collector's house to a party that's given in his honor It really raises the hackles of the legalistic crowd. But you see, Jesus' actions reflect his attitude. You ever noticed as you were reading through scripture the kind of people that Jesus hung out with? Many of them were non-religious people. Non-religious people don't usually like to hang out with the religious types. Why do you suppose that is? What is it about Jesus that made him so attractive to non-religious people? You know, the Pharisees, they will eventually accuse him of being a friend of sinners and you know what they will be absolutely right friend don't think that you are not valuable god loved you enough to send his son here to die in your place so that you can have an everlasting life with him this world may hate you Religious people may shun you, but don't ever doubt that God loves you. One thing I found interesting looking and studying the life of Jesus is how much he was a teacher of his day. He, he used the conventions and the, the methods of the rabbis of his day in order to try to get his thought Across. I came across a book that really informed me on this. It's a fairly easy read. It's called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. And Spangler and Verberg go through and talk about Jesus' teaching, compared it to the rabbis of the day, and really see the teaching techniques of those first century rabbis that Jesus appears to use as well. Now, This should not surprise us that Jesus would use all things available to him in order to communicate the message that he came to give. Now, one of those techniques, and we we do this today naturally, and you've never heard the the 75-cent word that is the actual technique, but it's a word called synecdoche, and you don't have to write that down. But synecdoche is this idea of a part for a whole. In other words, you're talking about one thing, but you really mean everything surrounding that, right? Like if somebody says, hey, that's a nice set of wheels. They're really talking about what? Your whole car, right? Or when you hear in the news, they say, well, the White House today confirmed yada, yada, yada. Are they really talking about this building that sits on Pennsylvania Avenue? (laughs) What are they talking about? They're talking about the president, the executive branch as a whole, right? When you're on a ship and the captain cries, all hands on deck, is he expecting you to just take your hand and just dangle it out there? No, he's expecting you, the wholesaler, to show up, right? Right? That is synecdoche. Now the rabbis had a habit of giving a partial scripture quote while actually referring to the whole passage. It's that idea of a part for a whole. Okay. The idea was that when they quoted a scripture, a piece of a scripture... It was to bring to the mind of the listener the whole passage. And if they didn't know it, to go and find out what it was. But oftentimes, they knew what it was to complete that scripture in their mind. And very often, they used this as a culturally acceptable way of issuing a scathing insult or a rebuke. It was a polite society. It was frowned upon if you stuck your finger in somebody's face. But you tell them off by giving them a little piece of scripture. Oh, that was perfectly fine. In fact, that was ingenious. We see here in Matthew 9, 13, Jesus quotes... A piece of scripture. If you're looking at your Bible, it may be a footnote. It's Hosea 6.6. But it's just this one phrase. Actually, Jesus used this phrase several times. Every time it comes up, he is referring specifically to the Pharisees. And more specifically to the attitude of a Pharisee. Um, Matthew 9.13 We see it again in Matthew 12, 7. So, what's the context of Hosea 6, 6? Well, Hosea is speaking the words of the Lord. So, God is speaking through Hosea. And the stanza goes like this, starting in verse 4. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Think about that just a second. Your love is like the morning mist that disappears. What's he saying? Your love for me is fickle. Oh, when times are good, you're right there. But when times get rough, your love is fickle. Therefore... Because of that, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with words of my mouth. My judgments flashed like lightning upon you. Any part of the Old Testament come to mind? Maybe several? Okay. And here we go. For I desire mercy, not sacrificing. Get the second half of this. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offering. In this very first time that Matthew records the Pharisees critically confronting Jesus, Jesus does exactly what we've seen him do even in this series. He points right at the heart of the matter. They think that their sacrifices, their pew warming, their meager tithing, the keeping the law of in excruciatingly minute, detailed adherence to the rules that they added to the law will somehow earn them God's favor when what God really wants is their heart, their compassion, Their compassion for the people that he created and he was willing to die for. You see, right here in this verse before Jesus quotes Isaiah back in Matthew 9, 12, we get this statement. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You Think about this that culture that day, you might recall that it was the priest's responsibility to look after public health, to look after safety, stability of the nation of Israel. That's why they kicked people out of society when they contracted some sort of contagious disease like leprosy. Also, that is why Jesus, we see him when he cures people, he tells them to go to the priest so they can see that they're clean, so they can come back into society. The priests were the ones that were skilled in the medical practices of the day, they were the ones who could change people's lives. They were the keepers of the law, so they should be the sharers of the law. In other words, they were the ones who were supposed to have compassion on non-religious people. It was their responsibility to take care of God's people, all of them. It was their responsibility to love them and to teach them, and when necessary, to bring them back. But you see, a healer must get his hands dirty if they're going to heal the sick. And they were the ones who thought they were following God, and they totally missed it reading between the lines what Jesus is telling them he's telling them all I am doing is your job Matthew 21:37 we read this Jesus said to them them the self-important pious Pharisees I tell you the truth the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you Do you want to be in that back of the line position You need to look at yourself, and you and I need to check our attitudes. They, meaning the Pharisees, missed it because they missed Jesus Christ. What about you, friend? Are you going to miss heaven because you're missing Jesus Christ? Friend, if you don't think that there are good moral people in hell, then you are reading God's words with blinders on. It is not good morality that saves us. It is that relationship with the one who created us. Morality comes out of that relationship. It doesn't define it. For all their faults, the one good thing that you can say about the Pharisees is that they were godly, moral people. That they studied the word. That they were intricately in knowledge of what God's holy word said. And they still missed it because they didn't have the relationship. In fact, Jesus said... The life these teachers of Israel was leading was so far away from the life that God desired and he reached out to them and he used every opportunity, even getting in their face to try to get their attention. Matthew twenty three twenty seven we read Jesus saying, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are filled with dead men's bones and everything unclean. If you've lost your joy in the Lord, maybe you need to look inside and see what's there. While you have time to change it. Christians are called to live as Jesus, as God intends for us to live. And that includes by the moral teachings that are in scripture. Yet Christianity is not about being a good moral person. It is about being a dedicated disciple of the one true Lord it's about loving people the way that he loves people if Matthew would have stayed in his seat if he had not gotten up and left everything behind he may have never learned to believe in the one who died for all of us and yet he did. And Matthew wrote his gospel to share the joy that he found in Christ, specifically with those who shunned him. Friends, how are you going to share your joy? Father God, we thank you for Matthew. We thank you for showing us unequivocally that there's nothing in this world that has to separate us from you. We know, Father, that we move away from you. We know that there are things that we take into our lives that become our idols, that become our Lord but we thank you that your love is there and that you are willing to accept anyone who is willing to accept you as Savior and make you Lord of their life. And we thank you, Father, for changed lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.